key words for today. Freedom and love. Freedom and love. I don't know how many of you know the story of the relationship between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Two of the founding fathers. Actually very good friends, but not always. In the election year of 1800, their friendship was strained severely. And they quit communicating with each other. In fact, it was something that lasted 13 years of not talking to one another. Yes, I am correct in having one day of death for both men. Both men died on July 4th of 1826, not very many hours apart. And both men asked about the other one in their last moments of conversations. I want to share with you a letter. A letter that was actually the culmination of events that began 15 years earlier. As I shared, they had fallen out of friendship and uh, that friendship had only been renewed in 1813. But quickly thereafter, their friendship was strained. It was tested because a letter of Thomas Jefferson's was published in an autobiography or a biography. And in that letter that Jefferson had written, there were some remarks that were made about Adams that weren't quite how Adams viewed things. And he was concerned about it. And so he tried to, a couple of different times, to get in touch with Jefferson and talk about it. And and, uh, Jefferson basically was of the opinion he didn't want anything from that old all the way back in 1801 to be bothering their friendship now after they had just gotten back together. But the issue was important to John Adams. Um, Because John Adams had written, here's, here's a quote from Adams, Science and morals are the great pillars on which this country has been raised to its present population. Opulence and prosperity and these alone can advance, support, and preserve it. Thomas Jefferson, as you probably are aware, as he got older, started drifting back toward deism. And in fact, he cut out all passages that had anything to do with the miraculous out of his Bible. And Jefferson had made a comment in that letter back in 1801 in reference to Adams and others a disparaging comment that said or referred to them as those who live by mystery and charlatanery. Mystery and charlatanery. I had to look that word up. I even had to look up how to spell it. I mean pronounce it. Uh, But it has to do with uh, we get 
uh, the, the kind of the word that goes along with it that they were living in a very uh, uh, now I can't even think of the word that I was going to use but it's just that cavalier uh, uh, focusing more on on not that which is science well John Adams took offense at this this is actually a copy of his letter uh, digital copy of his letter Here's what he wrote back to Thomas Jefferson. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the only principles in which that beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And these principles only could be intended by them in their address or by me in my answer. And what were these general principles? Principles? I answer the general principles of Christianity in which all those sects were united. He goes on to say a little bit below that. Now I will avow that I then believed and I now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. And that those principles of liberty, principles of freedom, are as unalterable as human nature and our terrestrial mundane system. In other words, say what you want about science, Thomas, but the grounding framework upon which we agreed and formed this nation, the groundwork for the freedom that we have, is the general principles of Christianity. Patrick Henry. Most of you know him from his March 23, 1775 speech in which he said, Give me liberty or give me death. He also said, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two of our founding fathers coming out very strongly. And you're hearing all kinds of things saying, well, no, that's not how this country was founded. These are direct quotes from two of our founding fathers. And it goes even further. In his last will and testament, here is what Patrick Henry wrote. I now have given everything I own to my children. There is one more thing I wish I could give them, and that is Christ. Because if they have everything I gave them and don't have Christ, they have nothing. I did a search of sermon series that different people have developed using the the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, just to see how others were, were viewing it. And some of the responses I got were the freedom of the gospel. 
true freedom. Right with God. Freedom in Christ. Uh, Galatians, no other gospel. The true gospel. Here's my point. As Paul said back in Galatians 1, 6-7, there isn't another gospel of a different kind. There's only one gospel. The gospel of Christ. And what is going to be developed in chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians as we close out this book is that the true gospel a true understanding of the Gospel leads to true freedom and godly living. I've shared with you that Galatians is not on how to be saved, either by works or by grace. He was writing to people who were Christians. He was saying, once you have accepted Jesus Christ and you are living by that story, the good news of Christ being the fulfillment of Israel's history, then there are certain things you should be and one of them is not disunited. There should never be a problem with unity in the church. Especially... As I stand here before you, a significant argument was developing over what color and what fabric should be chosen for the curtain of the baptistry. I was part of the church. Fortunately, I was invited to come to that meeting. They were actually getting upset with each other, dividing themselves over the issue of fabric on a curtain. And Paul says, no, no. The message that counts, which I've titled my message today in our series, the message that counts is the message that we need to be united. We need to be united. Let's go to our text this morning. Galatians chapter 5, I know that I've already done verse 1. It's a transitional sentence, so you get to do it twice. Galatians 5, 1-15 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look! I, Paul, do you, do you see the emphasis there? I mean, hey, it's me, Paul. Let me have your attention. I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, who would you who would be justified by the law who have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And haven't we already seen that, those of you that are with me on Wednesdays in Acts? 
What did Paul do when he got there and found young Timothy? And Timothy joined them from Lystra. He had him circumcised. Even though he writes this in Galatians. Because the issue really wasn't circumcision. The issue was, how are we marking ourselves? How are we identifying ourselves as believers? I mean, believe it or not, there are some people who identify themselves as a believer simply because they have their membership on the name of a role somewhere at a church. Never darken the doors of a church. But, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of such and such a church. That kind of stuff doesn't count for anything. But only faithfulness working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. Verse 1. It's a transitional sentence. Paul is summing up and applying the lesson of the preceding allegory about Sarah and Hagar, as well as all of his preceding arguments all the way back to chapter 2, verse 14. And he gives us what is only the second commandment in the book of Galatians. The first commandment was, be like me. Chapter 4, verse 12. This is only the second commandment, unless you include the quoted commandment, cast the slave woman out with her child. But this is the only one directly given by Paul. Be like me, And now, stand firm. Stand firm. Because the emphasis that he is making is that it is with liberty that Christ has liberated His people. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I tried to point to it during our communion meditation. What did Jesus choose as his occasion to go to Jerusalem knowing that he went back when he went back there he was going to be tried crucified and buried what did he choose passover he could have chosen yom kippur the day of atonement 
Because there's a lot of emphasis that people give to Jesus' death being an atonement for our sins. And it is. But Jesus chose Passover. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Why Passover? Could it be that the real thing He wanted to emphasize was not the atonement for our sins, although that is important and happened, but that He really wanted to emphasize that the story of His life is the story of a new exodus. You see, Second Temple Jewish people living in the time of Jesus, though they had returned to Jerusalem and Judea, they still believed they were living in exile. And the reason why they believed they were living in exile was they didn't have their freedom. They weren't allowed to rule their own land. And one of the promises of the prophecies was that when the return happened and truly happened, they would have control over their own land. That's why all the way back in the book of Daniel, Daniel says, yes, the physical exile will last 70 years. But the real exile is going to be seven times the 70. 490 years. Which if you do the math, takes you from Daniel right up to Jesus Christ. Jesus chose Passover. And He chose Passover because the principle that needs to be affirmed is that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We shouldn't want to return to the slavery of Egypt. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've crossed the Red Sea, you've crossed the Jordan, you're a part of the new Exodus, you're a new people, a new kingdom, with a new king that was enthroned on a cross between two thieves with a placard over his head that said, The King. Wednesday night studies. Those of you that are coming, didn't we see a hint of this in Acts 15 during the conference in Jerusalem when Peter was speaking and he said, you know, hey, that's a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear criticizing the attempt of imposing the Old Testament law back on the early Christians. And the word yoke during that time period was being used by the rabbis in a very honorable sense in reference to the obligation of keeping the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books. So listen to me. Not me, but Jesus. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't don't burden yourself anymore under the yoke of the Torah. 
You see, the principle we need to affirm is that there is freedom in Christ. And knowing the truth will set you free. But there's also a process that you and I need to avoid. Again, Wednesday night. Man, you're missing a whole lot if you're not here on Wednesday night. And I just feel like i I got to share some of it with you. Wednesday night we talked about the one degree principle in aviation. I uh, have a desire to have my pilot's license. That's on my bucket list. And my bucket's getting pretty shallow. Uh, But in aviation, when you lock in the electronic equipment, if you pass that test and you're able to use it, if you are off one degree on the number that you lock in, you'll probably see the airport if you fly from here to Kankakee. But if you fly from here to California, you're not even going to hit California. Understand what I'm saying? Just one degree variance. That's all Satan needs. And and Paul understands that as he's writing to these Galatians. All Satan needs is a little persuasion. Verse 8. Just a little falling away. Verse 4. Throw in some hindering. Verse 7. And maybe a dash of some of that uh, troubling in verse 10. Man, I've just given you an excellent recipe a process that leads to what Paul talks about as being severed from Christ. Verse 4. You all didn't have him as a professor, but I think you'll know who I'm referring to. A theology professor at Lincoln Christian Seminary. Brilliant man. Ph.D. University of Chicago Divinity School taught at Lincoln for years. Went through some personal problems including the death of another professor that they were very close to one another. And today, he says, I don't know why I ever believed that stuff. And he's an atheist. Did it start by somebody saying, oh John, you need to deny all that stuff that you believe it's crazy. No! It began by a one degree variance. A doubt. A word of persuasion. A hindrance. And don't tell me Don't tell me you can't fall away from Jesus Christ. I know there are major denominations who preach that and teach it. I listened to one of them this last week. A friend of mine. I saw where he was doing a sermon on this very text. So I YouTubed and listened to him. Paul writes to to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1 Quote, Some will depart from the faith. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. He talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander who had their faith shipwrecked. Now, from what I know about ships and wrecking ships, you have to have a ship to wreck it. So if you're going to shipwreck your faith, you had to have faith to shipwreck it. The book of Hebrews has five different warning passages. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Remember these things so you won't drift away. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 3 to 13. Take care so that you don't fall away. Chapter 6. It's impossible to restore those who have fallen away. Chapter 10. They are spinning deliberately are sinning deliberately after receiving the truth so there is no sacrifice for their sins. Chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. If you refuse the gift of Jesus Christ, there is no escape. And how does that process begin? Some of you know it. Some of you have shared it with me. Now I, I missed a Sunday and then I missed another one and all of a sudden I had missed a whole bunch and got out of the habit and was no longer attending. One degree. So, so what's the answer? Well, I think the answer is what is the perspective that we need to be affirming. And it's a perspective of freedom. Yeah, I'm a old hippie of the 70s. And uh, probably not the best theologian to quote. I don't know if I'm quoting Chris Christopherson since he wrote it, or Janis Joplin who sang it. But in that little song, me and Bobby McGee, she said, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. When you get to the point where you don't have anything left to lose, you're free. How'd that work out for Janice Joplin? Suicide. President Roosevelt back in 1941 In his speech, he said, there are four freedoms that we always need to maintain and hold on to. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. 1941. And yet, in 2020, there are more demands for wants not needs, more demands for wants than I have ever heard in my lifetime. Freedom. You see, here's the principle. My freedom ends at the tip of your nose. I've got freedom of speech, but if my freedom of speech offends you, my freedom ends before you're offended. If I'm going to live the Christian life. That's why he says here in these last verses, you're called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity. No. The whole law is is fulfilled in this one thing. Isn't that what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? 
What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, depending on which one of the ones you read. But then Jesus said, but there's a second just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I go back to communion time? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your soul. And there's a second just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need both the vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension for our life to be in sync. John said, you can't say you love God if you hate your brother. And there's a whole lot of hatred going on. So, here's where I want to end. That same slide you've had to look at for four weeks now. With only the words changed. You see, it has to do with shaping our lives like the cross. Loving God and loving others. It's living the cruciform, cross-shaped, Christ-shaped life. And until we as a congregation do that, this is all we're ever going to be. Why would anybody want to go to a place where the only thing they're going to hear is, well, sometimes they did this, and they did this, and they did that. <laughs> if we can't show love, if we can't speak in loving ways about people, then the most loving thing we can learn to do is keep our mouths shut. I get tired of going around this community and meeting people and hearing about all of the bickering and fighting that has happened over the years. I am so glad that Friday night I heard Pat say I was always afraid to start to like the preacher and his family because something would happen and then they'd be gone. And now I like the preacher and his family again. That was thrilling to me. I gave her permission not to like me and like the rest of my family. (laughs) If we don't learn how through love to serve people, we will never be the church that God has called us to be. Let's pray.